All right. So here, our last section is the 24 who are around the throne. Uh, this is probably the most controversial ones to identify in, in this whole chapter, uh, which is why I saved verse 4 to the last. Uh, so uh, I, I'm going to present the view that I believe these are representatives of the church. But we're going to go through three different views uh, and see why others have a different view. And again, all of these things have to be uh, checked. Like, don't take my word for this. Take it back to the scriptures. Uh, read through the beginning of Revelation again. Read through uh, the epistles and see, is it consistent with the church? Um, or are there inconsistencies here? Uh, all right. Let's see, do we have any readers left? Kelly, do you want to come off of your sabbatical for a bit and read this one? All right. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. Great, thank you. All right, so we see six different uh, descriptions of these uh, 24 elders. We see that they're in heaven, that they're sitting on thrones, that they're called elders. They're clothed in white robes. They have crowns of gold, and they're 24 in number. So we're going to take those six descriptions and match them up against the various views. So we've got three views. Either they're 24 angels. They might be 12 from the church and 12 from Israel. Some would say that they would be the 12 tribes of um, Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's probably one of the more common views. And then uh, representatives of the church, which is definitely a minority view. So evidences for angels. They are in heaven. Uh, they are around the throne and they're dressed in white robes. Uh, these three attributes we do see consistently with angels. Uh, that being said, John is also in heaven here. The four living creatures are in heaven. The seven lamps are in heaven, and God himself is in heaven. So just being in heaven doesn't give us uh, much evidence for them being angels, only the possibility for them to be angels. They're around the throne, um, again, as is everything else that we are seeing here. The throne is central. In the throne room. So anything that is in there is going to be around the throne. Um, and white robes. Um, yes, this is pretty distinctly angels. Uh, white robes are probably associated with angels more than anything else in scripture. Um, but they're still not the only things attributed white robes. Evidence is against it being angels. Angels are never referred to as elders anywhere else in scripture. Angels are never depicted on thrones. Angels are not crowned. Uh, here there are two words for crown in Greek. One is Stephanos and the other is diadema. Stephanos speaks specifically of victory. 
whereas the diadema speaks of authority. So it may be possible for an angel to be crowned with a diadema, uh, being that they have authority, but it's not possible for an angel to be crowned with the crown of victory, uh, because the question would have to be uh, raised, victory over what? Um, what have they overcome? For they fell on one day, and um, those who did not fall um, have not had anything to overcome. There is no savior for the angels. Um, so they can't have victory through a savior like we do. Uh, angels are never seen sitting. Uh, the four living creatures before the throne, this might be possible that they're sitting here. Again, though, they're cherubim and not angels. Um, but the seraphim in uh, Isaiah 6, not only are they not seen sitting, but they're not even seen standing. They're flying above the throne. Uh, and then... Uh, these are again distinguished from other angels. Uh, we'll see next week in chapter five that God speak or John, God through John speaks of the angels, of the elders, and of the four living creatures. He separates these and he makes them distinct. All right, so evidences for it being the church or Israel. Uh, really, I can only find one proof text that anyone would use uh, or that anyone has used. And that's Matthew 19, 28. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So here we see 12 thrones and 12 tribes of Israel. But uh, Jesus is also speaking to members of his disciples who would become apostles who are part of the church. So we don't see 12 Jews being given thrones. We see 12 church members being offered thrones. Um, they will sit and judge over the 12 tribes of Israel, though. Uh, evidence is against it being the church. The number is 24, not 12 and 12. Um, nowhere in here is there seen a division um, in the number of these 24. Uh, the church in Israel are not a blended body of believers. Um, any Jews who, be, who come to Christ during the age of the church are not Jews and Christians. They are adopted into the body of Christ. Um, so today, if one is a Jew or if one if, is part of Israel spiritually, they are not part of the church. Um, so these are not blended bodies. To be a son of Israel now is... To be in unbelief because Israel today is in unbelief, whereas the church is in belief. There's the real church, those who are genuine believers, and there is uh, the apostate or the false church um, that we talked about when we did the kingdom parables in Matthew 13. Um, but if we're looking at the invisible church here, it is one consistent body of church, not um, church and Jews within the body of Christ. Uh, next, Israel is not yet resurrected at that time. Um, again, this is before the tribulation period. The wrath has not yet begun. Uh, the wrath will not begin, or the resurrection for Israel does not happen until after the tribulation. Uh, and Israel will be resurrected to the earth, not to heaven. Uh, so let's look at some verses um, about those. Israel and the church are kept distinct. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 to 33, 
give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Um, here we see that uh, Paul does not refer to the Jews and the church in uh, similar terms, but he keeps them as distinct bodies here. And that, uh, again, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. Uh, this is common throughout um, New Testament scriptures that the church is distinct from Israel. And uh, Israel will be resurrected after the time of distress that speaks of the tribulation that has not yet taken place here. So in Daniel 12, 1 through 2, it says, Now at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And lastly, their resurrection will be to the earth. So in Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14, it says, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. All right, so those are the two views I disagree with, but those are the two most common views um, that you'll encounter uh, here. So I'm, I'm going to present to you a minority view. Um, so I've done my best to give you as much evidence as possible here. Um, so let's jump in. The church's promised thrones. Uh, when we're interpreting chapter 4 of Revelation, we want to go to the nearest context and see how does John interpret his own symbolism. So here, John 3, or Revelation 3.21, um, John speaking to the overcomers, the words of Christ to the churches, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, these thrones that are around the throne of God, these are thrones that are in a position of subjection to the throne. Um, so they are not sitting in equal authority, but they are sitting in authority granted to them by the throne. Um, so they do have a measure of authority, um, but they have been granted thrones just as Christ promised to the churches. Again, from Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we see that they're clothed in white garments. The church has promised authority. Revelation 2, 26 to 27, it says, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I have received, as I also have received authority from my Father. So we're granted a similar authority with Christ over the nations. And the church has promised crowns. Revelation 2:10b through 11, 
Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The church is a priesthood. In Revelation 1.6, it says, And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The priesthood, uh, we learned from 1 Chronicles 24, is actually divided into 24 different offices of representative priests. Uh, these priests would have been the sons of, uh, actually the sons of Levi's sons, or not, of Aaron's sons. Um, he had four sons, two of them were killed for offering um, strange fire before the Lord, sacrifices that had not been um, ordained by the Lord. So he had two sons remaining. Uh, two of his sons were given 16 or 18 of these offices, or one of his sons, and the other son was given the remaining six or eight offices. I can't remember exactly which. Uh, but we see that the rest of the tribe of Levi through Aaron, the priesthood of Aaron, is divided into 24 representatives, and those representatives would be priests over various factions of Israel. So we see that God does divide up his priesthood here, um, into 24. That's consistent with what we see around the church or around the throne. Also, the word used for elder, presbyteros, uh, you might recognize that from presbytery or presbyterian, it means elder. Uh, it's used 28 times in the Gospels and Acts, but never in the Gospel of John. Uh, and it refers to leaders, usually the leaders of Israel. Uh, but it's referred spe referring specifically to church leaders 18 times in the Acts and the Epistles, including twice in John's Epistles. So John has only el elsewhere used this to mean church leaders. But also, you'll notice that interestingly enough in Acts, as the book progresses and as church history progresses, this term is used less with Israel and more with the church. So we see that as Revelation progresses, so this term leader in the Greek takes on a more solid or a refined domain and becomes uh, the word used for church leaders. Revelation coming last in the canon would naturally follow that consistent use of church leader, not jump back to uh, earlier use of this word leader to mean Israel, unless it makes that distinction specifically known within the text. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, uh, we see that our position is with Christ in the heavenlies. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we can see that today, even in spirit, we are positioned with Christ in the heavenlies, but we are not yet in body with Christ in the heavenlies. And that's what Paul groans for, is to be present with the Lord in body as well as spirit. Uh, we see that our position is already similar to these elders in spirit. Uh, Walvert, again, uh, speaking of... Uh, 
speaking about this specifically says, while scholars differ on this point, it would seem that since the elders are on the thrones and are crowned as victors, they represent the church rather than angels. Angels have not been judged and rewarded at this point in the program of God, but angels soon join the creatures and the elders in praising the Lamb. So the angels are going to join into this praise later in chapter 5. But so far, they seem quite distinct from these elders and from the cherubim. So that brings us to verses 9, uh, 9 and 10. And it says, And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and we'll see what they say in a second, but first we see that the living creatures are continually giving him glory and honor and thanks, and they're offering it to the throne itself. They are the closest creatures to the throne. They are occupied in consistent and continual worship of God. Uh, and John refers to him here as he who lives forever and ever. Again, consistent with he who was, he who is, and he who is to come. He lives forever and ever. He doesn't just exist, but he lives forever and ever. Then we see moving out away from the throne, we've got the 24 elders. They actually fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. Uh, I'd say this is a show of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Uh, they have something incredible to be thankful for, and I believe that is their redemption through Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, uh, more information about these crowns. Uh, we've talked about it before as we went through the seven churches, so we'll move a little faster through this. Uh, Paul is, uh, I think, trying to make the Corinthian church jealous for the rewards that they could have in heaven if they shaped up. Because if you remember, they weren't doing too well on their sanctification end of the deal. Uh, so Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man will be each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it, remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. I believe, as many others do, that these rewards are the crowns that we see um, other places in the epistles, and also here in Revelation. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to 10, uh, Paul again speaking of this, uh, oh no, Paul speaks of the um, judgment that he referred to earlier in the previous letter to Corinth. Uh, so this is called the Bema Seat of Christ, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Um, Bema refers to the judge as one would judge a competition, um, not as one would judge in a court. Uh, yet one, one Bible student mentioned um, that this race, that the rewards aren't, aren't for being first in the race, aren't for beating other Christians, but uh, it's for your own personal walk. So you're not racing for number one here. Um, you're essentially racing against the old man, uh, the sin nature. So uh, 
you getting one crown doesn't mean your neighbor's not going to get that crown. Uh, your work is your own, and uh, and between you and the Lord, each man will be judged on his own works. Uh, so it says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema seat of Christ. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So notice that is not recompensed for his deeds. It's recompensed for his deeds in the body. Once one has attained the salvation through the blood of Christ, through grace alone, now his works, when he does his works while resting in Christ, those deeds are counted as good works. Uh, Isaiah 65 says that even the deeds of the righteous are filthy rags before the Lord, uh, because Israel at that time was not in a good position with the Lord. Um, so that even when we are in the body of Christ, if we are not current in our fellowship with Christ, if we have something that is breaking fellowship between Christ and us, um, for example, an ongoing secret sin, uh, one that's not confessed, one that's not confessed to God, uh, that, that's a rupture in our fellowship with him. Um, it's often related to fellowship between a father and a son. If there is a rupture in their relationship, um, some ongoing act of uh, rebellion from the child, that child is not walking in fellowship with his father. Um, and it's the same for us here, that our deeds done while walking in fellowship with the Christ, with Christ, or better said, resting in Christ, those good deeds are counted as good works, and we're rewarded for those. This is not a judgment for salvation. That's already been signed, sealed, and delivered here. This is a judgment for the works of the believers, where we'll gain rewards. At the Bema Seat of Christ, four of these rewards are mentioned in, in Scripture. Some people think five. Um, the incorruptible crown that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 9, I think that's a general uh, reference to all of the crowns, that all of them are incorruptible. That uh, whereas victors in the Olympics run for a laurel crown, uh, that laurel crown will fade and wither. But these crowns that we race for, these are incorruptible crowns. So four that are mentioned, the crown of life, the martyr's crown, that's mentioned in Revelation 2.10. The elder's crown, 1 Peter 5.24, this is the crown um, for one who is a leader in the church. Uh, the crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing. This one's probably the most interesting to me because the others are positions and actions, but this one is just being in a state of anticipation for Christ's soon return. Uh, that's given the crown of righteousness. Uh, waiting anxiously for Christ's return has a sanctifying effect on the heart of the believer. When we anticipate Christ's return at any moment, we're going to be more uh, easily walking with him uh, because we're expecting that any day we may be face to face with him. Uh, but it's not just those who anticipate it, it's those who love his appearing. And then finally, the crown of rejoicing. This is the evangelist's crown, the soul winner's crown uh, from 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20.
So uh, Tom Constable brings up the good point. Uh, is it not selfish to want to gain a reward? If we are working for rewards, um, are we working for the right purpose? So he says, is this not an unworthy motive for living the Christian life? I believe the answer lies in, in this verse. Here the 24 elders cast their crowns at the feet of the Father in worship. Since a crown is something we will give back to the Lord in worship, the desire for a crown need not be a selfish motivation. Indeed, the desire to present one's life work of faithful service as a gift to the Savior is a very unselfish and God-honoring motive. So keep that in mind as you're running for your crowns. Uh, we're doing that for the express purpose of casting them before the feet of the Lord. All right, and then they're praising. Uh, these 12 elders, or 24 elders, sing a song uh, before the Lord um, as soon as the living creatures finish their verse. They say, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. This word worthy is the Greek word axios. It means deserving, worthy, befitting, or comparable. Uh, we see that God is not only able to receive this glory, um, but he is deserving of this glory. Uh, that our right position is in giving him worship and the right position of all creation is in giving him worship. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, uh, we see that God is the creator of all things. Of course, if you've gotten this far through the Bible, you're probably pretty confident that God is the creator of all things, but Paul really spells it out for us here. He says, to me, the very least of all, of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So this is Paul speaking about the unique um, inception of the church, but saying that this is not a new thing. It was hidden in the mystery of God um, since the beginning of time that he is the God who created all things, and this mystery was hidden for ages, and that is the mystery of the church. Uh, but as we wind up towards the end of this chapter, we start to see um, shadows of Christ, and we start to ask the question, why have we not yet seen Christ in the heavenly throne room? Um, in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, um, again, uh, we see that Christ's attributes are starting to be revealed in the text of chapter 4 of Revelation. So in Hebrews, the unknown author of Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things 
through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the world, by the word of his power. When he had made perfection of purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So again, it begs the question, where is Jesus in all of this? Uh, in Revelation 1, 4 through 6, we see that uh, this was John's takeaway uh, as he is beginning to address the church, this revelation that has been given to him from God. These are the things running through his mind. This is how he expresses his introduction. He says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne, now we know those, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in Revelation 1, 4 to 6, this heavenly throne room vision is running through John's mind, and that is how he addresses this letter uh, to the seven churches. And we see that immediately after mentioning God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the majority of his introduction here occupies the work of Christ, and that is going to be the topic of chapter 5 when we get there next week. We're going to see Christ revealed in his glory and his authority. Also, I mentioned here that in chapter or in verse six, he says that he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. I believe this is a reference to the 24 elders, um, as John saw those in the throne room of God. And he is using this personal pronoun, us. John is writing to the seven churches, and he relates those 24 beings with himself and with them, saying that God has made them to be a kingdom priests to his God and Father. God has kept his word and kept his promise. It is faithful and true. And with that, we come to the end of tonight's study. Nice. Right. That's that's got to be one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, but uh, chapter five probably tops it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Does anyone have any? So interesting. Yeah, I, I figured you'd really like this one, but there's lots of images here that are just really hard to identify, especially with the four living creatures. Um, I mean, it, it's fascinating. I remember the first time I heard that they correlate with the four Gospels, and man, I, I didn't sleep for a week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's fun. I'm looking forward to chapter five. Um, hey, do you have the link to the guy that was uh, the little video about Revelations 4, 4 through 5, the uh, 24 thrones and the seven spirits of God? That, do you have yeah, that link somewhere? I can send that to you. He, he had a really good presentation. I was actually listening to him this afternoon. I was trying uh, to find it on YouTube, but I, I can't seem to find him. Yeah, let's see. He's from, 
Well, um, he's from Duluth Church, but Duluth Church has uh, a school attached to it called Grace Institute of Biblical Studies. Uh, so he's from he's doing that from this uh, this channel. But let me grab that link and I'll send it to you here. And I'll I'll put a link on my website too, is for easy access. Cool, thanks. Yeah, all right. I'll I'll send it here to the group chat. Uh, yeah, no, I that's the first time I've ever listened to him. Um, I like Grace Institute. Um, I, I I didn't even know how to cite the guy because uh, the video doesn't tell me what his name is. So he's some guy teaching at Grace Institute. <laughs> Yeah, Google that. Some guy. <laughs> Some guy. Yeah, they actually have a conference in late October. I'm thinking of going if I'm free. Should be fun. But it's it's in uh, what well, it's right on the Great Lakes there in Duluth. But um, hopefully Duluth and the rest of Minnesota isn't burning by October. <laughs> oh, gee, right. <laughs> yeah. Is that where uh, Dr. Rokeser? Is the pastor? Yeah, he's the head pastor of that uh, of that church. He he teaches occasionally um, there, but um, they seem to have a pretty good staff. Uh, at least five or six that I've seen on their YouTube channel. But uh, yeah, he he moves through Revelation pretty quick. Uh, he did chapter four and five in one hour, and. Uh, he did chapters one through three, I think, in about an hour and 20. Um, so yeah, he, he'll be done that way before we are. I've, yeah. I've well, been like mapping it out. It looks like we'll be halfway done the book of Revelation in August. <laughs> but I'm determined to finish this year. So I, I think when I mapped it all out last, I have us ending at about January 6th. So We'll see if I can make any of those shorter. But we got through a whole chapter tonight. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll and next a... week, Lord willing, we'll get through another whole chapter. That is an. It, it's been really interesting, mm -hmm. and we have a more in-depth understanding of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, will say a, a closing prayer. Okay. Thank you. Sure. We can still talk afterwards. Okay. I'll stop the sharing afterwards. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Lord, we just um, call on your mighty name and we thank you, Lord, that you are Lord and you are God and that you you are all knowing and you are the creator of all, you know, our future and help us understand the past. And we thank you, Lord, for your word and all of um, Dane's time studying and, and bringing the word to life um, for this study. We thank you for, for learning and we pray that you would um, put your word in our hearts and that we would be encouraged and um, a witness to all of our family and friends around us. And we just ask a special blessing on Dane as he's continuing to study and, um, and spend all these hours and time um, for your glory. So we thank you for that, Lord. And ask your blessing on each one of us and our families and our lives and um, and and your touch in all that we put our hand to do. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, Thank you. Amen. Thanks, you guys.
Yeah, yeah thanks. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'll see you guys next week, eh? Okay. Yeah, see you next Thursday. Oh, I don't know if the copy. Oh, okay. <laughs>